Hey, I'm Daryl Etherington. Welcome to Found, the weekly podcast where we talk about different founders every week and different startups every week. I'm here with my co-host and the automation to my process. I'm Jordan Crook. A pleasure. It really is. Is it good? Is it positive to automate my process? I think so. I think so. I mean, that's where the world is headed. Yeah. And that's like kind of what we're talking about this week, although it's more root optimization. We spent a lot of time talking about what this company does. The company is Nextmove, and what they're doing is super exciting, actually. And it is contained in the name. It's basically, they make software that provides advanced analytics that predicts what the next move should be in a process or in an operation. And while that sounds simple, they do it at scale, and it's really, really useful, that's for sure. I mean, Jordan, it's something you brought to the table. So do you want to talk about uh, Carolyn a little bit and kind of what Next Move is? Yeah, Carolyn's cool. Next Move is even cooler than Carolyn, which is hard to, to be. Essentially, <laughs> like the way that I understand it as a like worse than layman, like whatever's lower than that, is that it helps you make decisions around your priorities as a company at like an algorithmic level. So once you've like started writing code to say like, okay, the most important thing to us is like a truck delivery company is our like fuel consumption and management. Well, the code might already be written for something else, right? Or if you want to go change it, it could be really, really hard to test that change in an environment where it would be realistic. So next move is basically doing that. <laughs> and Jetty, my puppy, agrees that it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, that was his enthusiastic support of your comments there. Yeah, but it is really cool. And you don't have to take our word for it. You can hear it direct from Carolyn Mooney, CEO and co-founder of Next Move. So please enjoy this episode. Hi, Carolyn. How's it going? Good. How are you, Daryl? Great. Great. Uh, great to have you here. Super excited to hear more about you and your startup. So, I mean, yeah, if you want to just jump right in and give us kind of the 1,000 foot view of Next MV, we would love to hear that. It's super yeah. simple and straightforward, so it should be easy right now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> easy to explain. You know, it's funny. I actually talked to some of our, our employees right before this being like, how would you describe it? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so yeah, we, we actually started Next Move to bring uh, decision science to to engineers. And, and I'll explain obviously what that is in a second. So we are all kind of familiar with data and data science being like the way you think about the world. So like kind of all the measurements that are floating all around you and, uh, you know, data science is maybe predictions about that what's going to happen next or, you know, what's like likely to happen. And decision science is really what you, what you do about it at the end of the day. So it's making plans. And you can think about that as making a plan for your dispatch service for how Amazon gets your deliveries to your door or making a plan for, you know, Uber picking the best driver to come pick you up and drive you to your destination or pick up people along the way in pool or even packing a truck to ship different packages like across the country in the most efficient manner. And so how do you how do you make that happen? And really, at the end of the day, software uh, drives a lot of those decisions these days. And uh, it's more efficient because humans that are like can think about these problems at a small scale. But when you start thinking about, oh, I have to pack, you know, thousands of trucks a day, and I have to make plans for all where all those packages go and all those trucks, that becomes really, uh, really hard really quickly. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I have trouble just planning my, my route for the day, I think my route around <laughs> my home. <laughs> route just on the computer. Right? Yeah, yeah, which is mostly yeah. here to downstairs to the kitchen and then back. But yeah, we, we can help you with that. Okay, it's a, it's a schedule, you know. Like it, we'll, we'll help with we'll help with this process. What are what are the things that matter to you most? You know, we can we Daryl loves <laughs> Daryl loves to spend money unnecessarily, so I actually think he should sign up. That's a key next move. priority. Also, just like. <laughs> Securing snacks from the kitchen is another key priority. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I've I've talked to companies, you know, tech companies, and and Uber, you mentioned right, and I and I've talked to Uber, and specifically their kind of data science team about this, and it's definitely the thing that I think they get most excited about the engineers, right? So it's it's even though it sounds like super complex and like very kind of abstract, maybe to a general audience, it's also something that I think people who are 
expert in this industry really because really, it's a big big problem and it's a very attractive appealing and challenging problem to solve is that is that kind of your experience from the, the hiring set yeah it definitely is i think it's really fun to think about how to to solve these problems at scale right because really you're using like all this like compute power that's in the cloud and like you have access to all these tools now whether it's like how do you measure all this different data from your marketplace or you know just like all these different parameters and things that help you uh, make decisions and, and metrics around those so kind of you saw this like wave of like business analytics tools right and like and they just gave you an idea of like what the hell is going on right. and then you saw the the wave of data science tools and they're saying like okay what's going to happen and now you're seeing the wave of like okay we have all this information now, like we've been relying on ourselves to kind of process this information and like make a call on where to go next with our business. Why don't we like codify that right into mm. like into software, right? And say, this is the decision I'm making when I see this data come in. And so I think like, I was out at Bucknell recently uh, to, to do a talk there. And it was really fun to hear some of their professors talk about some of these problems because they even used software to plan the schedule for the college. Right. And it was like, you don't think about that being a hard problem, right? Like you're like, oh, yeah. well, like, you know, you're just scheduling classes. How far could it be? But when you think about how many majors do you have at a given university, how many minors do you have at that university? How do you schedule all of the classes so they don't have it like, you know, too much overlap and you can get between one class to the other. And, you know, every year for an engineer, like if you're in school, you have to take certain classes, right? So how do you make sure they can take all the classes that they need to take for every major? So it, really quickly you go from like, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that simple scheduling problem not a big deal i'll do it on you know on a whiteboard to oh my god how the hell are we actually gonna <laughs> solve this um and you know it's those types of problems that, that we get really excited about one of the more compelling things so so i've covered next move a couple times at great personal cost to be honest because it takes <laughs> oh no all... jordan that means i didn't do a good job <laughs> no, no you're no, doing no. a great job you did a great job it's literally it's all my deficiency it's nothing about you <laughs> But like, I thought it was interesting hearing about kind of your background and your background with your co-founder around sure. like how you actually figured this out. Because one of the things that I thought was most compelling about Nextmove is like, this used to take like 50 PhDs, right? right. Like 50 yeah. of the smartest people in the room doing loads and loads of work to do this. So I thought maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your background. And then we can go even further than that, because that's even more interesting. But <laughs> let's start with just the recent background. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my co-founder, Ryan, and I uh, worked at Grubhub. And uh, while we were at Grubhub, we were working on the dispatch algorithm uh, in amongst other things. So basically, all of the systems that drove automated fulfillment for Grubhub. So if you've had a late order, I apologize, that was probably partially my fault. But uh, <laughs> but it's been it was it was really fun to kind of work through those problems. And, you know, it was everything from forecasting, uh, you know, what the orders were going to be on a given day to scheduling drivers to make sure you we could actually deliver those orders. So like what, you know, schedule blocks, what shift blocks you uh, work with, then at the actual real time, we got a bunch of orders, now we have to deliver them. So how do you get to the restaurant in time? And then how do you get that order uh, at the expected time like that you quoted to somebody? Um, and then even like beyond that, how do you how do you make like changes to your driver supply in real time? Like, how do you encourage more people to come onto the platform if you have like just a bunch of orders? It's a snow day and everybody's ordering delivery, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so like, how do you how do you influence that kind of thing? And we were there, and we we scaled the team a lot while we were there. When we started, I think it was about four people, and when we left, it, it was about forty or so. And we kind of noticed that we had to hire a lot of different disciplines to accomplish these tasks. And we hired analysts, we hired data scientists, we hired operations researchers, which are you know, algorithm builders, essentially. And uh, we also hired software engineers. And at the end of the day, it took like this combination of all those disciplines to get these decisions, right? These real-time operations decisions, right? What am I going to do about this order into the you know production software stack at, at Grubhub? And I think like while we were there, um, this wasn't our first time. <laughs> this wasn't our first rodeo in this space. <laughs> and we uh, it was probably about the third time around for, for us building these types of systems. And we said, okay, well, why is it that it always takes so many people and you know why is it so hard to get the rest of the organization to understand and why is it so hard to make changes and um you know get this stuff into you know into software and make decisions like code right make them you know easy to repeat easy to test easy to like understand what the heck's going on and easy to talk about like you should be able to say i care about not being late 
right. as part of your algorithm, right? Like it should be as simple as that. Instead, it's like a bunch of matrix math, <laughs> typically, <laughs> um, that you have to do. And you're like, wait a minute, is that is that variable lateness? Is that earliness? Is that you know something else that I care about? And you have to do that translation. And so, you know, what Jordan's referencing is that like a lot of that translation happened through like PhDs or master students in operations research, those algorithm builders that they were really like, and then they still are like the, the translators for these systems. Mm. And that's something that we're trying to, you know, give them better tools, um, give them better tools and, and expand the use of those tools to not just them, but also software developers so that we can build more automation, right? Uh, you know, uh, impact more of the more of the system. Yeah, I mean, I have like, some direct experience with this too from the past like when i was working at shopify like we had a lot of challenges around this in various departments right like so there was actually like specifically logistics because they were starting to do their own fulfillment product and they're they're still working on their own fulfillment product right so it's it's a challenge to deal with that but i mean it sounds like it applies across right so it applies to it's not just for like just in time delivery or logistics and, and routing of, of vehicles, right? Like it's also for, I see you've got packing on here. You've got like all kinds of inventory management and scheduling of humans. You mentioned scheduling in, in the academic setting yep. too, right? So it, yep. it's basically anytime you have like a huge amount of data that involves how to allocate resources and when, and then you can kind of fit in there. And that was something, because yeah. I talked about Uber and Uber was very excited about this. And it was essentially, you mentioned Grubhub, right? Like for a while, yeah. that was the competition was to do this thing and like build that. And that was the in-house thing. But it sounds like it's now becoming something that companies like there are companies that are never going to compete on that, that don't want to compete on that. And then they're going to come to you. So it's now a commodity that you're offering, right. That allows yeah. them. So what, what do you see companies then? Like what, what do you tell them when you're doing the sales cycle of like, if you, if we take care of this, you can handle thing X, Y, Z instead to, to focus on your strength. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, it's a couple things. One, you can have you know more automation in your system and like, and, and inherently, the more you can make your your entire system from I'm talking like marketing and sales all the way down to your logistics, right? Like there's a lot of systems and decisions that get made on a frequent basis, right? Whether that's every week, every month, every day, intraday, right? Those are all re- repeatable things, right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of you you have rules of thumb, like everyone has rules of thumb that are doing those types of tasks. And so those rules of thumb, if you if you encode them in your into your system, then you can manage the change on those rules over time. And you can figure out what rules actually give you the best outcome. Because at the end of the day, like a system like Shopify is a lot of components, right? And all those components are combining to give you, you know, at the end of the day, the revenue for Shopify, right? right, right. Uh, and in, in various ways, they're impacting it in various ways, but that's really what they're doing, right? They're impacting the user experience or they're impacting the bottom line because it's like a cost of their compute power or whatever, right? But it all comes down to like, how do you impact the bottom line? And I think, uh, you know, it, you need to have tools that make that tangible, right? And, and measurable and configuration managed <laughs> mm. uh, so that you can, you know, it's, it's, it's accountability at the end of the day, right? If, if you kind of have rules of thumb that are always anecdotal and always something yes. that's shifting and changing with every single new person or every single new team, then it becomes really intractable and like hard to grow as a business in a sustainable fashion. And I think, you know, you see the startup world, right? Like we talk about all the time, test everything. Yeah, well, how do yeah. you test everything if you don't write it down? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and, you know, at the end of the day, coding is just writing it down. So, yeah, I think like that's that's really like where we come from is like make make your decisions code. Right. And then then it's easy to, to you know, drive into new areas and automate new things and be creative about this. And I think that's that's the part that really excites me, because I think this space hasn't really been accessible to no. uh, a standard developer. And like and I think developers just inherently have so much creativity and they always like make use of their tools in interesting ways. And I, so I think like, uh, we're really excited to see kind of like what comes out of that. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it brings to mind like so many meetings I've been in where you, it's like, well, we did this this way at company X, Y, Z. So, and and it's like, and you're competing with, well, we do this this way here. Right. And then it comes down to like, okay, well, why don't we try this as a test and then we can see the data and see if it makes, and then you're like, but so often it's like, okay, well, see what data like what data will tell us that and then (laughs) and it just becomes it like you said it's anecdotal and there is no like 
organizations lack the ability to understand how to attribute data properly, even if they have like extensive in-house analytics and gathering. And so it's so obvious that there's a need for this. And it's so obvious that right now it's like a sleight of hand, sleight of like magic trick. It's really <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's just people arguing who are, and then like, who is the most charismatic? And you go with that. That's the person who ends up winning, right? And then you yeah. can you sort of, times, of like- yeah, for sure. That's why I win <laughs> like every time. I know, I'm worried about this, Jordan, because like, this is like all my skills. I know, right? This is literally all of our skills. And then the next move is going to come in and be like, you're both wrong, stupid. (laughs) No, no, I think, I think, uh, I think one of the nice or like the interesting things is right. It's like that, that, that person doesn't go away. Like, and and I think this is something we come across sometimes, right? Where um, companies will have manual processes. Maybe they're doing scheduling manually. That's not uncommon, right? Uh, You know, because they, they're, the operation has to function, right? right? At the end of the day, Packages have to go out to people, right? And deliveries need to get delivered and like all of these things need to happen, right? Or dollars need to be spent in marketing channels, right? Like all that has to happen. So at the end of the day, someone does something. And I think like, you know, I think you're right that a lot of times it ends up being like the charismatic person in the room kind of like gets their way. But what happens, I think in this version is that person levels up to being charismatic about the strategy that they're taking instead of like one particular parameter. Mm. And they're not wor- they're not in the weeds anymore, but they're making decisions at like the more of a macro level instead of this like really micro level within the company. And I think that's cool. Like, I think if you, if you, you're kind of like redefining roles or you're making it more exception based, like there will be times where humans have to be involved, right? Like if your order is two hours late, like I don't think you're trusting like somebody to be like, uh, your like your app to be like, oh, sorry, right, route was right. weird, right? You're not happy about that. Like you want no, you someone to it. call you yeah. and you got to fix it. Um, and I think like those are the things like where it makes sense like to just like level up that operator to be making like, you know, calls at a different sphere, you know? Yeah. Oh, One of the things great. that I thought was really interesting about Next Move too, and I'm gonna just butcher this, Carolyn. So just listen <laughs> and then correct. It's okay. It's okay. But like the way I understood it is like you have these smaller companies that don't have the resources to like build a 40 person team of geniuses to automate all of this stuff, right? But then you also yeah. have the Ubers of the world who do and have, yep. right? And they like already yep. have that whole machine built into their company. But for them, you have a product as well, right? Like that virtualization tool. I think that piece is really interesting. And the way you explained it to me was like, if Uber decides that its priorities have been tweaked in some way and that the algorithm needs to change because of it, they have to essentially build a world as big as the one that Uber lives in and then test that algorithm in that built world. Because if they try it out in the real world, all your Ubers could show up 20 minutes late, right? Out of nowhere. And that would <laughs> yeah. be super problematic. Did I nail yeah. it or did I kill it? Or did no, I crush no. it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know which one had a good connotation and yeah, which, which one had a medium better. one. So I'm, like, I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, killed it. Killed it. No, it was, uh, it, it, it was pretty good. So, so basically, I think if you, if you think about these like small companies, you're totally right. Like, so there's a lot of, a lot of companies out there that maybe can't scale to that 40 person team right away. And you want to give them tools to get started because quite frankly, we all know that like software as it grows, it becomes its own beast. And uh, it like, it just gets ingrained in, uh, into like the culture and into the process. And it's hard to kind of rip out different things as, as you start to go there. So it's nice to have that automation to start. It's nice to have a framework that you can encode your decisions in no matter what type of decision. We see that be appealing like on a smaller company scale. But the interesting thing is we also see that appealing for, you know, like the like larger companies like so uh, like Uber would be an example there of a larger company that might find that interesting. And the reason for them is actually like the cross applicability of resources. Um, we've heard a few times in those conversations, like be really interesting. Like, hey, I, all of my decisions look and feel the same, regardless of what, what like team I'm on. And that makes it so that like an engineer working on dispatch and routing can go work on marketing engines. Mm. And that's really powerful because even if they don't have the, maybe the domain expertise, they're working with a product manager who, who does, or they're working with an operator who does. And now they're able to help that person like encode that like, you know, boots on the ground knowledge, right? Into the product. And I, so I think that's like a really interesting thing that, that we're, we've, we've seen since Jordan, since we last talked about this, um, that's been interesting for, for those larger companies. And yeah, the, the other thing that you're talking about, which is like simulation. So how do you create tests? Like, how do you test these things? <laughs> right. Because if you're working in, in the logistics sphere in like, if you're Amazon flex, right. And you're trying to, to deliver things, um, you know, a certain time window or prime and same day or next day, 
and you're testing like a new algorithm, it's really hard to test that live. You, you potentially lose a lot of money, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you miss your SLAs uh, for folks and like they get a lot of complaints and stuff like that. So a lot of times in those systems, they'll test the algorithm in, in like in simulation of some sort. So they'll basically mimic the real world, right? So they'll have SimCity. They'll build their own SimCity, right? To test their, test their stuff out. And, you know, building that core component that allows you to do simulation or allows you to, you know, generate data sets and test things out in different areas. That's like, we've built that a few times. I worked on a system like that at Lockheed Martin. And then mm-hmm. I worked on a system like that at Grubhub. So it's like, that's, you know, important to have. It's like, it's just test infrastructure, right? And so we kind of think about it as that. Like, how do you build decisions and how do you test them? Um, and so we have a lot of structures around testing that include include simulation as one of those paradigms. One thing you mentioned there that I think is super interesting, especially right now, like we hear a lot about the talent shortage and how difficult it is, especially for startups now to find yeah. the talent they need. And it sounds like one of the big advantages of your system is that you can reallocate talent like without without retraining or major retraining, right? Like <clears throat> with yep. on the job kind of guidance and tutelage, you can take... Yep one person's skill sets apply them to a totally different problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We had, um, one of our investors is, is, uh, is from Twilio and like, and you know, I really liked how Twilio kind of built their products, right? Saying that like, they're basically making every engineer a messaging engineer, right? Mm-hmm. Or like able to work in that, in that communication space. And I think we kind of have a similar vision for, for next move, which is, you know, we're making every engineer a decision engineer, right? Or a decision scientist. Like they're able to use this, uh, technique, like, Mathematical optimization really isn't that it's it's like a scary set of words, right? It's like two <laughs> freaking huge words and uh, also like entails all this like, you know, PhD work. Yeah, I'm completely shut down. Like, yeah, shut down. Just from <laughs> you blank, say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Blank, blank slate, right? But like at the end of the day, it's like it's really just finding the best plan for like a really not sexy problem usually <laughs> um, and like, and something that you probably don't even think about impacting your life, quite frankly. Um, but it is like, at the end of the day, that's all it is. It's just like, you know, finding what's the best plan and how quickly can I find it? Can I find it in two seconds? Can I find it in an hour? Like how long is it going to take me and how long would it have taken me if I t- tried to do it by hand or tried to do it, you know, with another system. And so like, yeah. that's really like all we're saying here. And we're, we're just giving people like a way to search all those possibilities as fast as they can. If you're listening to Found, you're probably already super interested in startups and the overall startup ecosystem. So we've got a great deal for you. We're going to offer you 50% off either a one-year or a two-year subscription to ExtraCrunch. ExtraCrunch is TechCrunch's premium product offering. And when you go there, you'll get deep dive interviews with some of the top founders in the industry. You'll get market maps on specific verticals and some of the most exciting areas of growth in startup land. You'll also get uh, surveys of some of the top VCs in different areas, including different geographies. So you can subscribe to Extra Crunch at extracrunch.com. That's probably the easiest way. Or if you're already on TechCrunch, follow the links for Extra Crunch and you'll get a prompt to subscribe and then just enter that code that's found, the name of this podcast, during checkout and you'll get 50% off on either a one-year or a two-year subscription. I'm curious too, you mentioned just kind of offhand your Lockheed Martin experience, but you spent yeah, yeah. a you long let time. You let the cat out of the bag with that. And I was like really <laughs> building towards it. And then you were just like casually oh, like, sorry. oh, I'm at my short time and kind of Lockheed Martin just, you know, saving the world or what? Like, come on, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Figure I out really, the na- really, narrative flow of what yeah. we're doing, please. Use some no, decision I, I science ahead. to, I to ahead. catch I on. Didn't optimize the flow of questions. No, the right sorry. Optimization. <laughs> yeah. But six years at Lockheed Martin, like it, and then from that to Zoomer, and then to to Grubhub, right? So, like, yep. walk us through that a bit, and kind of what you, <laughs> how you got into Lockheed to begin with, and then and then what went into making yeah. the change, right? Yeah, for sure. So how I got into Lockheed, actually, was I was talking about this the other day. I did systems engineering in, in school, and I actually was at, yeah, I also played volleyball, and I was literally playing volleyball one summer between between sophomore and junior year, and I was just playing, like, pickup somewhere, and one of the guys that I was playing with mentioned he was an engineer, and I was like, oh, I'm doing engineering at, uh, in school also, like, you know, what type of engineer are you? He goes, I'm a systems engineer. I like, uh, I really didn't know kind of what they did in industry. I just like knew theoretically what I was studying. And he was like, oh yeah, I work at Lockheed Martin. And I was like, oh, cool. Are there internships there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so that, that was basically like how I fell into uh, an internship at, at Lockheed. I kind of like started mid- midsummer and then went back again for a subsequent summer working in like a different department. And then when it came time to kind of look for, for jobs, it wasn't a great job market uh, when I graduated. And so 
I was kind of looking around going, well, am I going to, a lot of my friends in the same major went to like New York city and did, you know, uh, a lot of like financial market stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I wasn't really into that, nor was I into like a hundred hour work weeks. So I, uh, I chose to go to, to Lockheed and really had a chance to work on modeling and simulation for the Navy, <laughs> which wow. is not, not something that, uh, a lot of startup folks like have the, the experience in. And no. <laughs> when I, uh, yeah, it's like a little bit weird to talk about sometimes. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I, I spent a lot of time talking to naval captains and working on the Aegis weapon system, which is like all radars and missiles and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. And then worked on like some research and development projects while I was there, like laser weapon systems and stuff like that, too. And like the whole time it was all like analysis. I've spent most of my career doing doing analytics and talking to stakeholders about those analytics. So like trying to make all of these decisions more tractable for them, right? Like, and easier to understand. And in a way, this is like, like next was kind of like the next advent of that, right? It's like how to, how to automate all of that and make things really easy to, to understand. And, and then the one thing that was hard was like Lockheed, like the pace, like I was just like looking for a smaller team that was moving faster, right. that was able to, I wanted to be able to see parts of the business that I, that I couldn't really see at, at Lockheed. And, uh, you know, like this, how did sales and marketing work? How did, you know, how did you talk to customers, right? I mean, like we talked to our Navy, like, you know, relatively frequently, but it was only like one customer that we were working yeah. with different departments. So like, how could, uh, how does it like a product affect multiple people? Yeah. So I ended up leaving uh, without a job, actually. <laughs> huh. And uh, and so I was like already kind of interviewing uh, in the Philadelphia area, which is where I live normally. I'm in Germany right now, but I was interviewing around like the startup scene and trying to do like some network gymnastics in the Philly area startup scene, which isn't that large, but was still like hard to kind of break into at the time. Yeah. And I uh, t- talked to someone at a like meetup and I was like, yeah, I do these like simulation things with the Navy. And they were like, oh, no way the like you know the coo at, at zoomer just built a simulation and they're trying to test their dispatch algorithm with it oh. and i was like you've got to be kidding me like that seems like it's just like hand-picked like cherry-picked for me <laughs> um into the startup world and so i so i like obviously connected with him and, and that ended up working out well and so i was like super excited uh to join there and get an experience of like you know 100 people like it was basically 100 people company at the time and that was actually where I met my co-founder. Uh, and so he was working on building the dispatch algorithm and getting his PhD at the same time, which that's a whole other story, but that was insane <laughs> and really intense. <laughs> and then uh, and then I was working on you know testing that that algorithm and um, and you know how how it worked with all of our regions. And I still remember I we la- launched something like we studied it in sim for like a like a couple weeks. We launched something live in a region and I like sat there with like a glass of wine being like, did I break the first startup that I went to work at? <laughs> Like, this is like actually terrifying. I'm like pressing refresh like 20 times. But yeah, it's like stuff like that. And then uh, we actually got picked up by Grubhub about four months later. So my time in startup land was very, very short lived. We went over to Grubhub and started scaling out the same same types of systems that we were doing at Zoomer um, at, at Grubhub. And it was really fun. Uh, we just had a lot of a really good time with it, and I got an opportunity to work with you know, like some of the some of the folks there, like the CTO at the time. I was working with her for for a while, so it was really cool to kind of see a company at that scale too. That was like you know at the time I think like a, about seventeen hundred people or something like that, and then grew a lot a lot more over the time I was there. So yeah, right, nice, kind of, kind yeah, of a wild, you got, wild ride. <laughs> it's wild, but you got the full spectrum of like you full went spectrum, from like yeah. huge <laughs> legacy company. Very complex, very siloed to like startup, very scrappy yeah. to like mid-sized scale up or whatever. Like it's pretty cool yeah. that you got all that experience in that amount well, of time. And like Daryl, I don't know about you, but like the key takeaway for me from that story is that volleyball is not only the best sport by virtue right. of just its qualities <laughs> as a sport, but it can unlock not just one opportunity, but kind of a string of opportunities. Yeah. 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 Founders I think that, take that note. was the most important takeaway. <laughs> I think that was the piece that we really need to anchor into. Yeah. And you still coach volleyball. Is that right, Carolyn? <laughs> I do. I do. Um, so I coach a bunch of uh, 15-year-olds. like So they're freshmen in high school for a travel team uh, in South Jersey, actually. And I've done nice. that for a long time. I've coached pretty much since I graduated school. So for the past like 11 years. I want to wow. do that. Well, it's Jordan, really I actually do, do have the chops to do that. <laughs> like that is a thing that I could actually do. Like the decision science, not not going to happen. You definitely, no, but you could. That's what we're making it possible for you to do it, <laughs> Jordan. That's use, the whole idea. 
I could use decision <laughs> science in my coaching. We're going to work on this. Yeah, I, I think it's a great idea. It's literally Moneyball. Like, we're just talking Moneyball right now. Like, that is exactly is decision science in sports. <laughs> let's, let's do it. What, what sport are we tackling? Can we do curling? Like, I'm like, I'm really in on, wow. on that. I want to go. I want to go to the Olympics. <laughs> you just you just activated Daryl's Canada switch. Go ahead, Daryl. Tell him. Yeah, well, I mean, the Scott Tournament of Hearts. It's, a regular, it's an annual, you know, special event here in canada we I, all we all stop and it. watch that yeah <laughs> i love it I, I wanted to ask about your do you find because you have a decade of coaching experience like do, does that cross over into your leadership like do, do they kind of complement each other or how does that work for you now that you're you know in charge of your yeah. own company no it definitely does i think one of the biggest ways that it crosses over is just like transparency it, it's really important when you're when you're coaching a team for everyone to know like their role and how their role like works into the larger like organization. And, and like in, you know, with my volleyball groups, it's like, it's only 10, 10 kids. And, you know, so they all kind of know, know what's going on. It gets a little more complicated, right. Um, when you're talking about business and, you know, adults and work, um, that's a little bit you know, less, less defined boundaries and right. like, and stuff like that. Right. But I think it's really cool. Like there's, there's definitely some crossover there and just being willing to have tough conversations, right? Like, uh, it's, it's hard to, to go tell a kid that like, Hey, like you really got to work on this stuff or like, you're not going to be able to play, you know, yeah. back row, um, you know, for us, or, you know, you really got to work on your serve a little bit more before we get you into the game, you know, but we're going to keep practicing it and then like, and get you there. Right. And so I think like a lot of those, those types of conversations are, are similar, but it's just, it, for me, honestly, it's nice to have the context switch of, of coaching being outside of work yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and just to be like, I am thinking about volleyball right now and I'm not thinking about, about next move. <laughs> um, right. and I get people that look at me like, how, why do you do this to yourself? Like, why do you uh, have this, like, you know, multi-day commitment outside of next move and i'm like well it's it's a nice like it's a thing on my calendar i always leave for it and i shut down like i shut down during it like yeah. I, i'm not, you think I'm not entirely on my computer. about something else yeah. which is great yeah which is great and honestly honestly like it really does help um from a creativity aspect too right and you know gets me like out of out of that sphere and there's some there's some crossover both directions like you know we, we talk about how like we have a lot of coaches that that work in our club now um and actually my brother and my husband run run the volleyball program that i coach for oh. and so they always are thinking about how to, how to like, you know, bring all the coaches together and how to, how to make the program like, you know, like all like uh, consistent, right. Like throughout all the age groups, like from 10 years old, all the way up to 18 years old. And, you know, there's a lot of similarity in like in that, right. Uh, for you know, company building, how do you make the experience similar for somebody that's coming in at, at level one, all the way up to like a VP, right. At the end of the day. And so I think that's, that's some like really cool stuff. And the culture is probably the biggest one. Like, how do you drive, just like the way it's like the way you play volleyball or the way, the way our team operates to like, you know, the way we get work done right at next move like that, like there's, there's a lot of parallels like to talking about that. Maybe not the same vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have, we have some different, uh, different you're not aiming for the exact for. same yeah. type of culture, yeah, but. not the same goal maybe. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of similarities there and, uh, you know, and a lot of, a lot of discussion about like, how to be a good teammate, right? Like, yeah. you know, good teammates are, are honest, like they're, you know, they're direct with you. They're not afraid of conflict, right? Like if, if something's not going well, they're not just going to like kind of kick the can down the road. Like they're all that stuff is pretty similar. So I'm a professed culture nerd. Like I love it. And I will talk about mm. it forever. <laughs> I love, like, I think one of the cool things about that, I mean, there were a bunch of cool things you just said, Carolyn, don't get me wrong. But like the <laughs> one that I thought was most interesting, I think is the idea that it's on my calendar and I always leave for it. Cause I think that yeah. like, one, founders, like, don't put anything else on their calendar often because they have no work-life balance right. whatsoever. But then on top of it, instead of it just being, like, a hobby, like, oh, I hope I get to play guitar tonight or, like, I really want to go, like, skiing from a helicopter one day or whatever. <laughs> it's this thing where, like, you know, <laughs> they're, they're 10, 15-year-olds who are, like, expecting you to show up for practice and you, like, can't yeah. really let them down, right? So it's, like, yeah. a really clearly defined boundary where there's not a lot of give. There's, like, not a lot of cushion yeah. there. And so it's like, okay, yeah. no, I have to shut off. Like I have to because, you know, yeah. there are a bunch of kids waiting for me to show up and get the net set up. Yeah, for sure. I like, I flew back. Like, so beginning of 2020, we were doing Y Combinator and I was flying back and forth for practice because I had already kind of committed to coaching the team that year. And, you know, we, we were going to be really good. And I didn't want to like, you know, let them down. Like they, they had all signed up to, to play, you know, for me. And I felt like it was important to kind of follow, see that through, you know, but it was also really important to do stuff for the business. And it's a tedious balance, but it's a it's a fun balance uh, most of the time. There are times where it's stressful, but I would say the vast majority is is really fun. That's a great lesson. That's a great takeaway. Is uh, 
for YC founders specifically, don't let YC consume you entirely. Go do something else. <laughs> yeah. As well. Be a person. I was I was not the only one flying back and forth. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, at the time. Which at the time it was it was all very much in person still. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is pre pre COVID. That's the only thing that makes it make sense. Otherwise you're <laughs> flying back and forth to nothing, Karen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just flying back and forth to be on Zoom in both places. <laughs> yeah. just, hey, I have a better internet connection time, on this side so. of the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's almost no latency. Do you guys notice that? <laughs> yeah. It's special. I, thought, I, I, have, I have similar things. Like me, for me, it's driving. Driving is the only way I can get my brain to entirely shut off and not shut think off. about work. But it's and it's literally like a I'm basically incapacitating my brain by like, well, no, you have to focus on this or else uh, you will get in an accident and it'll I'm be surviving. really bad. For, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But but I do. I mean, I get it. I it's it's. It makes so much sense and it's so valuable to have that kind of thing. And also it's yeah. it's makes a lot of sense. Like the metaphor of the team building thing makes a lot of sense too for like yeah. how to think about being a team and successful team, right? And it, I guess it, it sounds like you're probably a good coach. If you have a bad coach, don't follow that <laughs> example. I remember I had a bad coach for soccer when I was a kid. And I, my takeaway yeah. from that was Everyone like, has just be <laughs> shitty just to a each bad other. Kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I generally see guys. Yeah, I think like I think coaching is really important. Like I like I've sought out like coaches even now. Like I have like tried to surround myself with coaches of various like parts of the business, right? I mean, like I'm a I'm a technical co-founder. There's a lot there's a lot of advantages to that, but there's also a lot of things I didn't know how to do, right? I didn't mm -hmm. know anything about sales. I didn't know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about like a lot of the operations side, ironically, right? Like because you know. Some of these decisions are impacting, but I didn't live it, right? It wasn't like my my bread and butter, like all the time, every day. Um, you know, I was building systems to enable it, and like, and so those are kind of two different things. Yes. And so it's been really interesting, and I've tried to kind of surround myself with people that are able to help various aspects. So whether it's you know just the leadership training in and of itself, like how do we talk about you know big concepts and how do we be transparent uh, as a company? Because we're transparent from like salary to financials to everything. Everything about our company is transparent. To oh, our that's excellent. Yeah. And it's really like, it, we really value that. It's like, it's definitely one of our core things and our core principles, but you know, it's, it's tough. Like that, that means you're, you're like willing to have tough conversations and what do those look like and how do you manage them? And like all that kind of stuff to, you know, fundraising and go to market and like all those things, right. We've, we've kind of viewed building our investor crew as like our strategy team at the end of the day. And like, and even, you know, bringing in other people alongside, right. Advisors and uh, coach, like literally coaches. Um, and so that's been, been a really fun experience too. Yeah, yeah. Structuring that kind of thing is is something I think people have cha face challenges with, right? And like, if you, I think if you take it, that's a great approach is to think about like, these are all strategy inputs into the business, right? And that's, yeah, uh, it, definitely. it's a resource that you can lean on. And a lot of people don't think about it that way. They think like, oh, well, is this somebody I can get along with? Or like, you know, there are other thoughts into it, but they're not necessarily thinking like what's additive to the business out of this. It's like, is this yeah. person going to derail me or, you know, do I vibe with this person or whatever else? But yeah. thinking of it as a collection of resources that, that end up influencing the output is a really good way to, to go yeah. about it, I think. Or, or even just like, honestly, like, calling us on our, our bullshit. Right. I mean, right, like, right. you know, like, like, Hey, like ask us, ask us tough questions, like, and you know, about our strategy and about like where we're taking the company next and ask us, you know, the things that we didn't think about or, um, you know, are maybe going to trip us up. Like uh, you know, those are things we want to know ahead of time. And, it, and like, and I think the really cool thing is like, we have investors that are willing to say they don't know too. And yeah. I, I, I really value that. Cause like, I don't, I don't want someone like turning around and just like, you know, like feeding me lines either right like yeah. if they don't know they're willing to connect us to someone who does and i think that's like so amazing and like just exactly what we need like around like in our support structure around yeah. the company. it so. sounds like you value transparency just like you value transparency in the company you want transparency in your investors as well right? totally yeah. yeah yeah and what about like that experience for you fundraising generally like was that how, how did you come come naturally to that was that something else you had to build being like a technical <laughs> co-founder or how did that work for you well one Fundraising was really interesting uh, during COVID. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we because we started we we finished Y Combinator. We were the we were the batch that like COVID happened during. So like they went fully remote for demo day like at the end, um, and it was like really in, intense because like uh, there was also like a lot of uncertainty about like the fundraising environment like yeah. right when COVID was was kicking off. And I remember you know, everyone was, was like, uh, 
let's uh, freeze everything like, and then yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like a lot of a lot of funds were like let's freeze everything a lot of like companies were like oh my god like like there was just a lot of talk about like make sure you have x amount of runway you don't know what it's gonna, yeah. you know what the fundraising like landscape's gonna look like in a, you know a year or two years etc um and so it was like it was really stressful that way we were fortunate to bring on you know one of our bigger investors dynamo ventures we, we brought them on a little bit earlier than demo day and then we were able to bring in first mark later but there was like a string of right after demo day meeting just tons and tons of investors and it was overwhelming uh <laughs> like right. quite frankly like there was I, I told somebody at one point i was just like i just like starfished on my office floor being like why why do i have to do this <laughs> like nobody gets it no it's just no I, it, but it, but it really was it was a lesson in storytelling at the end of the day right and like and how do you get your story straight and how do you make it clear to people and how do you get people really excited about what you're going to go do because at, like at seed stage you're basically you're you're selling people on an idea you may yeah maybe you have a product maybe you have like we had early customers at the time but like you know um how do you sell people on that vision and that idea uh, long term? And so that was like that was really hard. Uh, it still is hard, <laughs> you right. know, as, as we're as we're thinking about because every single round it changes too, right? It's it's ever evolving, right? Your story isn't stagnant. Like yeah. uh, there's parts yeah. of it that stay the same. Like our our idea around democratizing this technology for for engineers that's kind of stayed the same. But the you know, the way we do that and like what we've built into our product and how people get started and all those things like have constantly been shifting. So. Well, and also what yeah. the you, you have to adapt kind of to what the you know the market wants to hear. Like it's like exactly. the, old, yeah. the whole idea is is appealing always, but like maybe they want to hear it from this angle or like you know the, you know this yeah. part of it, right? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah or like how is it going to scale, or like how people yeah. are going to find you, and like all that kind of stuff, right? So it's really it's really at the end of the day just like storytelling. So I think parts of that like. I think the part that came naturally was trying to trying to make like a relationship with investors and figuring out who we could work with. Like that part right. was okay for me, but the like you know how do we storytell around uh, you know what's valuable for them uh, as they think about you know their fund and and their return and stuff like that was that was the workup I would say for me. Yeah, <laughs> in the same way that like systems engineers love like solving the problem of like well how do we yeah. optimize this or whatever like. I think Jordan will agree. Like that's the favorite for us is like who's okay. I'm, here's my audience. What's the uh, what's the key to the unlock? Like I, yeah. as soon as I figure out what it is that they're after, and then I can like put it to them in that way, then uh, it's like it's so incredibly satisfying, right? Yeah. It's a different kind of route optimization, and it's it totally is. It's yeah. find the shortest path to their understanding, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I wish. Yeah. And, and maybe there's math. Maybe there's math going on. You know, up here, no one can see the video, but I'm pointing to my brain. But yeah. I, if it is, I'm not conscious of it because I'm terrible at math. But Carolyn had to spend a lot of time yeah. thinking about the shortest route to their understanding when yeah. she was first talking to me That's about true. next move. I think we were on the phone for yeah. like an hour and forty five uh. minutes, and she was like, "Let me try again." And I was like, "Okay, but I mean, it's me. But, it's not you." Hey. This is how patient you were. This is how patient you were with me when I was. I just like to didn't want to look like an idiot. I wrote about it and I was like, oh. I, I think no, the, no, the no. first article I wrote job. started out with um, optimization, efficiency, data-driven decisions. That <laughs> I couldn't even form full sentences. I was just spitting out words. It's like terms. No, but, Here we but go. But really, that that gave the vibe. That that was the right vibe for our yeah. company, right? Like it's as totally. efficient as possible to get the point across. I, I think, you know, we, we've talked a lot about like, how do we make it, how do we make it easier to understand and like, and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's super important. And yeah, it's funny because like, as, as you're saying, oh, like, you know, I didn't really understand what was going on. I took things away from your interpretation that I started using in my conversations. Nice. So, no, that's well, perfect. You know, like, it's we got somewhere. Circle. It's just full circle. It's <laughs> a good interplay. Your examples during those first conversations were so critical, right? Because it was like, oh, here's high level what we're doing. And I was like, no. And you were like, okay, <laughs> imagine you're a driver. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you just like kid gloved it all the way down. Yeah, just yeah. Compared yeah. to your morning of like, okay, like imagine it's your morning. Yeah. You got your coffee cup. Exactly. You ran out of coffee and you want to go down and get your snack. You know to take your coffee cup with you because it's going to be more efficient than if you forgot your coffee cup and have to go back upstairs exactly. get it. And make Thank you for trips. mansplaining this to us, Daryl. We <laughs> are bonding no, over here. Daryl, stolen. That is like a stolen example now. You will hear it on every other podcast I go on now. Good, good, um, okay. Yeah. No, no it's, it was funny. I, I literally I literally just talked to somebody today and I was like, I was trying to explain. I was like, yeah, like it actually impacts like almost all the parts of your day. Like normal, this is why I said by like not sexy problems. Like, oh, like how was this the grocery store stocked 
Like what, right. what inventory was there? How was it on the shelves? Like where did people, you know, you, like how did people pack it to get it there? Right. And then how did they, how did they route it to get it there? It's like all the way back in that supply chain. It has like all of these things that you just like take for granted on an everyday basis. And maybe if you, you know, if you took a scooter, like one of those shared scooters to get to the grocery store, right? That was placed there by like a truck that's moving those around to make sure that you can get from point A to point B easily, right? And yeah. it's just like, it starts to compound and you start to realize like, wow, like we are so interconnected at this point, like in terms of, you know, your mobile devices are, are helping interconnectivity, the I, like the, you know, IOT devices on every single like truck and, you know, service and, uh, and storefront and uh, like all this stuff, like it's all just information that can make your life easier, right? And how does it make your life? It's almost like we're living in the Jetson age at this point, right? It's yeah, just not yeah. it's like, it's not, it's not as fancy. <laughs> we still don't, we still don't have the thing that like makes my dinner automatically and like, like, you know, Michelin star <laughs> level. But, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, in a lot of ways, like we have a lot of those systems, right? And I think like, that's really fascinating. Like at the end of the day, when you think about it, or even like your flight, like your flight was part of a huge schedule of flights that they had to figure out like how to staff and like, you know, how to, you know, make it so that the plane was there at the exact time that you needed to take off. Right. Yeah. I think it's so cool that you talk about, cause you're talking about operations design and like system design. And then also like the practical side of like operational execution and they're very different. Yeah. Right. And you're talking about like realizing that I think yeah. if you like, when you describe that, if, if I'm an operator, it makes me much more invested in the process where I'm like, Oh, like I realized my role and like how it fits in and how it's more important. So yeah. I think it makes you much more likely to be good at that job or to execute your yeah. part well. Right. And I don't think that part gets explained a lot. Right. Most people yeah. who are doing the operations don't don't understand their role in the, the overall yeah. system. Well, and, and I think that's why, like, honestly, I think that's why like AI is kind of scary. Right. Like AI is scary because it's artificial. It's not human involved. It like or it, that's kind of the vibe. Right. Like you look at like pictures of AI and you see like, like I think Marky Personnelli calls it like the dandelion, like the, the, the fit, like it looks like the crazy ball of like lights. Right. Like, oh, yeah. like you, see, you see that, you see that thing. And it's like, it's like, what is that? And like, what is the, like, what does AI really mean? And I think like, that's why it's like a little bit scary, right? Like, you know, it's, it's because it seems like it's taking all the power to make all the decisions off of your plate, but really it's not like yeah. it's, it's still influenced by you as an operator and you're influencing the way it makes those decisions. And like, and I think, uh, you know, I got a really good question, uh, like uh, one of the talks I did recently from a, from a student saying, how do you make sure these systems aren't biased? And I said, they're not biased if the people that built them aren't biased, right? And, and right. understand their own biases. And I think like, that's really, really crucial to understand. And it's also how operators fit into the system, right? It's really, it's really augmented intelligence. It's not really artificial intelligence. Um, there's parts of it that like, you know, are trying to expand upon where we leave off, but like, that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the vibe. Carolyn, I think by now everyone understands what next move does. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, so. thoroughly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sure Developer do. tools, decisions, <laughs> you want to make them efficient, right? At the yeah, end of the day. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's exciting in terms of what you can unlock. It's exciting in terms of what you, what you're building yourself, but also like what you make possible at other companies once they start to making use of this. Right. And like, like you said, it's like, once you put it in the hands of developers and like, say like, Hey, guess what? You now have access to this kind of like tool set. It's yeah. really exciting. Just kind of what kind of unlocks you make possible there. So yeah, Absolutely. super excited to hear about it. Thanks very much yeah. for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay. That was our conversation with Carolyn Mooney from next move. Jordan, now you get it, right? Totally. I'm on, I'm on track now. I finally fully, completely and holistically understand what next move does. You're now an expert. I'm an expert. Yeah. And one could say, I think the thing that's cool about Carolyn is I talked to her like maybe a little over a year ago she was just getting her seed money. And then she got her series a somewhere in between that. But she has a really interesting background as a founder. I mean, she like went to school for systems engineering and went to Lockheed and then was at a small startup, then at Grubhub. And now she's kind of started her own thing. She's really like up for a challenge. I think even what was interesting was talking to Clearly, this is like very, very complex. This is for like the math nerds in the room, right? And mm. not only is it hard to build something like this, but then to like go and explain it and have conversations about it. And it's been really cool to watch her kind of like grow in that part, right? Because I'm only getting like the story from her. 
but she has gotten more, both more detailed and more kind of like high level and relatable in the way she explains it and talks about it. And that's been a really cool thing for me to personally witness. And I think this is like, this podcast could be like the culmination of that as yet in terms of yeah. how she talks about what she's building. She really got across the impact. This, the scale of this opportunity is huge. Like it's, this is what, and I remember, you know, I've I've visited Uber a number of times over the years and gone to talk to them. But like, basically, the tech side of Uber was always in this. It was always about the root optimization and continually optimizing the algorithm so that it does the best job of matching the right driver with the right passenger at the right time and getting them from point A to B in the most effective way possible. And that kind of got ramped up even more when you started adding in stuff like the carpool components, right? But it was like listening to the engineers who were in charge of that, they're talking about that. They were so excited about it because it's like a dream problem to work on, right? And when you look at what Carolyn and Next Move are doing, it's kind of like taking that whole thing and commoditizing it and making it available to everyone as a subscription service, right? And really doing it so that you don't have to be a deep engineer that really loves that kind of problem to solve it. You can just kind of be a developer with experience that lies elsewhere and integrate those kinds of optimizations into your existing product. So you can focus on what you do most and leave that stuff, which to the right people is super interesting, but to the wrong people, an insurmountable problem that costs whatever millions and billions of dollars to solve, right? So Making that available to companies of all size and scale is, is really cool and powerful. It means that people are going to be able to build much cooler stuff. Yeah. And do it without, like we talked about, all of the like kind of resources necessary to like build up that whole arm and, and machine. And it lets people, yeah. I think, even like the, the smartest folks in the room, it lets them focus on the funnest pieces of their jobs, right? So I think it's really interesting. I think she's cool. She's doing her own thing. I love it. Yeah, so that was our episode. Again, we love it if you leave us positive reviews in iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, all the stars are best. Leave us a little little written blurb there. We love to read those. And then also, we'd love it if you could take our listener survey. So the place to find that, and it's a survey, not a survey or whatever I just said. Uh, <laughs> You can go and find that at bit.ly slash found listener survey. So that's bit.ly, bit.ly slash found listener survey. Just a few questions, you know, about who our listeners are and what they want to hear. And we really value that feedback if you can provide that. So take a few minutes and, and let us know. But thanks for listening and join us again. We'll have another episode, another founder next week. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Yashad Kulkarni and edited by Grace Mendenhall. And Maggie Stamets is our associate producer. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickabit. Our guest this week was Carolyn Mooney, co-founder and CEO at NextMove. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com. And you can call us and leave us a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. That's bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>